Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Yesterday morning, we talked about the LA Lakers because that Baxter Holmes story came out on ESPN.com. And then, of course, the Lakers went out and the story went out and the Lakers were a topic. And most of the attention was focused on Magic Johnson and the allegations of bullying, intimidation, incompetence. So ESPN drops that bombshell, and then Magic shows up on ESPN and denies the whole thing. I mean, kind of weird stuff, right? But when it came to coverage of that story, Magic overshadowed everybody, and somehow Rob Palenka managed to escape without a ton of heat or a ton of damage. But that's because there's only so much time you can devote to one train wreck. And as I mentioned yesterday, one of the things that did come out in that piece was that Planka has, well, how do I put this? Let's see. He has a interesting relationship with the truth. And what I mean by that is apparently people around him think that he lies a lot. As an example, in that piece, Palenka is talking with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was brought in to address the team as part of the Lakers' so-called Genius Talks series. And by the way, after reading that piece, how ridiculous does a Genius Talks series sound? Anyway, The Rock and the Palenka are standing up in front of the team, and Rob, who had been Kobe Bryant's agent, is quoted as telling a story about Kobe and motivation. Palenka says, quote, There was one time when Kobe, who I worked with for 18 years, was going back to play in Madison Square Garden. And he had just seen The Dark Knight. Obviously, you guys saw that movie. And he's like, hey, hook me up with dinner with Heath Ledger. Because he got so locked into that role. I want to know how he mentally went there. So he had dinner with Heath. And he talked about how he locks in for a role. And Kobe used some of that in his game against the Knicks. End quote. All right, so what you have there is two absolute legends. Two icons when it comes to focus and their craft sitting down for dinner. I mean, how good must that have been? That must have been like De Niro and Pacino sitting down together in heat. I mean, damn, how cool would that have been to hear what the Dark Knight and the Mamba were chopping it up about? I mean, what an amazing story. What an incredible story. It's not incredible. It's impossible. Because as we all know, Heath Ledger died six months before the Dark Knight was released. Everybody knows that. In part, his death is what made that performance so tragic and so powerful because everybody watching knew that we would never see a performance like that ever again. Everybody knew this except Rob Palenka, who somehow managed to arrange a dinner between Kobe and a man who died a half year earlier. And then Palenka claimed that Kobe used that fictional dinner as motivation in his game against the Knicks. I mean, what a weird and bizarre thing to make up. Like, what do you get out of making something like that up? And if you're lying about something as dumb as that, what else are you lying about? Better yet, what other important things are you lying about? And if you're willing to just make stuff up like that, at that point, do you even know if you're lying anymore? Like, lying is never a good idea, but why lie there? To jack that group up? You already had the rock in the house for that. No one was looking for you to inspire them, Rob Lowe. Not when you've got rock, the rock five feet from you. Kobe broke bread with a dead Heath Ledger 
Sure he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like that time Kobe watched The Crow, starring Brandon Lee, and he was so impressed with the power and the darkness that Lee channeled that Palenka arranged for him to have lunch with Brandon Lee. And then he used that as motivation for a game against the Jazz. Oh, and speaking of the Jazz, how about that time Kobe listened to that Miles Davis album and loved how he approached his craft, so Palenka got Miles and Kobe together. And then Kobe dropped 40 on the Celtics. I mean, it's just so weird and so strange to tell that story that there's no way that really happened, right? <laughs> there's no way this guy got up on a stage in front of his team with The Rock and lied, told a bold-faced lie about Kobe and the Dark Knight, right? There's no way that happened. Wrong. It did. How do I know? There's video. I remember just a really quick story. There was one time when Kobe, who I worked with for 18 years, was going back to play in Madison Square Garden. And he had just seen The Dark Knight. Obviously, you guys saw that movie. And he's like, hey, hook me up with dinner with Heath Ledger because he got so locked into that role. I want to know how he mentally went there. And so we had dinner with Heath. He talked about how he locks in for a role. And Kobe mm-hmm. used some of that in his game Great. against the Knicks in terms yeah. of mental preparation. And so I know for you, your craft, your art, how you've gotten to be number one and then how you stay there. Reading the quote was one thing. Hearing him say it is even worse. Like, how cringy is that? Because you know people in that room, The Rock included, are thinking, dude, the hell are you talking about? The Dark Knight is dead. Maybe you put a little respect on him and stop lying out your ass and trying to name drop the guy. Hey, Rob, you got any more stories for us? Hey, 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 Rob, tell me that one about Kobe being so inspired by John Denver's music that you put he and JD together before the Mama's last game. And it fired him up so much that he went off for 80. Well, 60, but it may as well be 80. You're telling the story, right, Rob? Man, you know Kobe's got to be so pissed. If Kobe's listening to me right now, he is so pissed. Kobe's got to be thinking, man, don't drag me into this. I've got nothing to do with this. If you're going to lie... Hell, lie. Just don't drag me into any of your lies. Even if I am the reason you have that job. Look, even if you want to give Palenka the benefit of the doubt, you can. I mean, Palenka's not the first guy to tell a tall tale. He won't be the last. Maybe he just got things confused in his head. Maybe he misremembered about arranging a meal between a living basketball player and a dead actor. It happens. It happens to us all. But when the rap on him is that he's not exactly honest, when there's this story about him allegedly drafting a prospect because of a conversation he had with a player while not involving the other staff members, or when one coaching staff member is quoted as saying, we think more often than not, he's not being truthful. All that together. And then you have that video drop. It's a bad look. It's a bad, bad thing. But again... Maybe there is a logical explanation. Maybe there's a way out of this. Maybe he could dig up Dr. James Naismith and Ronald Reagan for a sit-down with Kobe to explain the entire thing. Meanwhile, Laker Kyle Kuzma does not like what he's seeing and hearing and wants to pull everybody off his team. Kuzma tweeted, Media making the league look like Jerry Springer. Y'all got to chill. End quote. Dude, 
Not sure if you're talking about the league or your team, but right now the Lakers are Jerry Springer, only better. And it's not the media. It's the dopes calling the shots and running the show that have run your once proud franchise into the ground. Woj, Ben Golver, Howard Beck, Tom Haberstrow, they didn't do this. Jeannie Buss, her shadow owner Linda Rambis, Traj, and Palenka did. All the media did was dig a little and show a light on just on how jacked up your team and organization are, Kyle. Don't shoot the messenger, brah. And if everyone laughing at the Lakers is inevitable, and it is now, since Buss is not looking to change anything at all, you may as well just sit back like the rest of us and enjoy it. You're missing a good show, my man. A really good show. Kevon Looney is my guest. Kevon, great to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. All right, so we're a day away from the start of the NBA Finals, and you've been in this situation pretty much every year since you've been drafted. So what's it like being there right now? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Or is this pretty much just normal at this point? I'm really excited. You know, it's different from the years in the past. You know, we played Cleveland the last few years, and uh, coming to Serrano is a different, different team, uh, different environment, different city. So it's a lot of fun. Good point. It is a different team. It's a different opportunity, and you're not with the home court advantage this time. So when you look at the Raptors, what are your initial thoughts on that matchup? Uh, I think it's going to be a fun matchup. They're, they're a great team. Uh, you know, Kawhi's been playing great. Uh, the bench players have been playing great. So it's going to be a, a tough challenge not having not having a full roster uh, for the finals. But I think we're fully capable uh, of winning this series, and uh, we're just looking forward to getting on the court. Are you doing a repair that needs a special tool? O'Reilly Auto Parts has made it easy. O'Reilly Auto Parts makes it easy with our loaner tool program. Over 80 specialized loaner tools are available, so we're sure to have a tool in stock to help you get that job done right. Purchase the needed parts, put down a deposit on the loaner tool, return that tool in its original condition, and then receive a full refund. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts. Better prices every day. Kevon Looney joining us. You know, rather than break down the entire series, I kind of want to talk to you about the huge role that you've played in getting to this point. As an example, Warriors assistant Chris DeMarco has said that you have not been late to a single practice or a drill in your entire time with the Warriors. It would take incredible focus and dedication to do that. So where does that attitude and that approach come from? Uh, just coming into the league, you know, playing on a championship team and uh, you know, being hurt and not having a chance to really play. I, uh, you know, as a rookie, the, I had great veterans that told me that you got to be early, you got to be first, and never be late. And that's something that I, I stuck to. And, uh, and uh, I found a way to get on the court by working hard and, and uh, determination. And, and, and that's what I, that's what I always tell people to just be first, be early. And uh, it's been working for me. You know, uh, I only can do so much. And uh, I'm playing on a team with superstars. You got to do something to stand out. And uh, as a role player, and that, that was my, my calling card. Come on, Looney, joining us. You know, you make that point about how when you're on that team and you've got superstars around you and they say, hey, you got to be accountable. One of those stories is you had surgery on your hip as a rookie. You came to practice one point on crutches, and Draymond said, what you doing? You should have yeah. been here an hour ago. What do you remember about that moment? I remember it clear, clear as day. I coming in, um, you know, practice started at 11. I'm like, I'm going to get there about 10.30. I can't do anything any day. My rehab doesn't start until about 12.30. So I'm just going to get there at 10.30. I came in. Uh, while I'm walking in, Draymond's walking to the court like, man, what you doing? I'm like, man, I just, I just, I'm, I just got to practice. What's up? He said, man, you should have been here an hour ago. I said, but I ain't doing it. I, I don't care. Be here at 930. So uh, I took that to heart and uh, actually started coming at 830. 
And uh, that's in my normal time every day. Kevon Looney joining us. You know, also, in addition to that, when you were coming up, you were being called the next KD. But then you have these injuries and you have this adversity. It would have been easy to get down. Instead, you went about creating a role for yourself. What was your approach and what was that time like for you? No, it was tough being hurt uh, coming into the NBA. You know, when you, as, a, as a rookie, you know, coming out of college, you think, oh, I'm going to come take the NBA by storm and uh, I'm going to make a name for myself. But uh, I was hurt my first couple of years and, you know, I had to watch on the sideline. I'm watching all my fellow uh, draft draft mates play well and, and do big things. But uh, I was on the be I was lucky enough to be on the team that uh, that was going to the championship every year and learning from learning from guys like Katie and Steph and Draymond. And uh, uh, I just I just kept my confidence and, and kept working on my game. And them guys uh, stayed by my side and stayed confident in me and gave me a lot of hope. And uh, I was able to, uh, to work hard and finally get healthy and, and use everything I learned from guys on the court. And then and it really helped me, helped me, helped me out a lot. You know, I had a lot of great veterans like David West, Veragile, uh, Bogues, and Draymond and Andre, who taught me uh, the, the small things about basketball, the little details that I really focused on, and really helped me get a get a role on the team. Golden State Warrior, Kevon Looney, joining us—not just a role, but a foundational role, which I'll get to in a minute. Steve Kerr used that word. You know, you mentioned Andre Iguodala. I know you've given him a lot of credit. Man, I've got so much respect for him. The way he goes about his business, his basketball IQ. What was it like the first time you met Iggy and he started giving you advice? I think the the first time I met uh, Iggy, uh, I was a rookie, and I think it was like the NBA Players Awards. And he and the first thing he did, he just messed with me a whole lot. I'm like, man, this guy might be an a-hole. He, he's kind of mean <laughs> <laughs> as a rookie coming in. Wow. And uh, it's funny that uh, he's been one of the biggest influences in my career. You know, uh, First thing he always said to me, man, make sure you're eating right. You know, As a kid coming out of college, I was eating uh, fast food every day. He was like, man, you got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your body. And the first year, I was like, man, whatever, man. I, I, I'm i always be skinny. But uh, <laughs> but I listened to him, and it really paid off for him. So what kind of fuel do you put in your body now? I mean, if you are what you eat, what do you eat? I eat a lot of uh, – I usually do a pretty basic diet, like chicken, rice, asparagus, stuff like that, steak. Uh, you know, I try to get them to go vegan sometimes, but I, I ain't ready for that yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to graduate to that point. But uh, you know, I try to keep a clean diet. Uh, I'm a big snacker, so I've been I've been cutting out chips and, and cookies and things like that uh, the last couple of years, and it really helped. It's hard, man. It's hard. The struggle is real. Come on, Looney, joining us. So throughout the postseason, in critical moments, you've been the right guy in the right place at the right time, getting a rebound, making a great defensive stop, finishing off an alley-oop, getting a loose ball. How different do you feel on the floor in those critical minutes versus maybe when you first started to play in the NBA? I feel uh, a lot more confident. You know, uh, last year, you know, I played in the playoffs, and uh, I was in the game for some critical moments, but I was scared to death last year. I, I couldn't even lie to you. You know, being those in those games, and you, know, you watch it, watch the uh, the pressure situation from the bench. It's a lot, a lot different being in the game and being on court at the, in, in the moments. And uh, I learned from last year being in the game in those some of those moments. And uh, Steve gave me the confidence and trusted me to play me in those key moments. It really gave me confidence for this year. And I feel uh, this year I feel way more confident, way more comfortable. I know where to be. I know what to expect. And uh, it's really uh, really been helping me a lot. And uh, you know. I feel like I can make an impact in, 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 at the end of the game. So when you talk about those moments last year, I've got to be thinking, or I've got to think that you're talking about, for instance, going up against James Harden and matching up with him consistently in the Western Conference Final. What do you remember about that series, and how important was that? Uh, that was really, I remember I can remember game one. Uh, they probably ISO me probably 
25 to 30 times, and I was like, man, I was tired, but I, I held my own. Uh, and uh, after that, I feel like I, I, I earned respect from, from from Houston and from my from my teammates. Uh, I, I feel like I gained the trust from my teammates that I can go out there and accept any challenge and uh, hold my own. You know, going to going to that series, I, I've been playing okay, and but that series really took my confidence to another level, playing against the high level uh, guys like that at the high on the highest stage. And, and, um, you know, and coaches depending on me and me showing up really uh, gave me a boost. All right, so a couple of quick, quick things before you go. When you talk about the coaches depending on you, I mean, come on, it's one thing to play a role, but it's quite another that after game four in the Western Conference Finals when you go 12-14, and 14, Steve Kerr says, quote, Looney has become one of our foundational pieces, end quote. That's a really strong statement. What was your reaction when you heard him say that? I was excited. You know, uh, as, a, as a rookie coming in uh, a couple of years ago, uh, that's what you dream of, dream about. But after having injuries and and uh, having things happen to you that didn't really go your way, uh, you never. Really, I never really thought that I would be uh, considered a key player for this team or even a foundational piece. Like Steve said, uh, you know, that was that was seemed like a faraway dream. And uh, for me to uh, to really work hard and, and see everything paying off, and, and for Steve, one of who been one of my biggest believers uh, since my rookie year, even when I was hurt. For him to give me that that stamp and that cosign from a, a guy that's won championships and been a, a great at every level that he's, he's been on was was, was, uh, was great to hear. You know, final thought. When I talk to Bob Myers, we always talk about the culture of that team and of that locker room. Yeah. This is a team that is loaded with superstars, loaded with Hall of Famers, but also guys who are all willing to make sacrifices for each other. How would you describe the culture of that team? Uh, we have, I think, we have a unique uh, culture in our in, in the locker room. We know. Uh, guys always want to play for each other. Nobody uh, uh, gets mad about the minutes or, or or their role. You know, you know, Steve is a guy who gives everybody opportunity. But you know, sometimes you might not play for a week or two weeks, but uh, you know your time's coming. You know, uh, throughout the playoffs, some guys didn't play for for a whole series, and next next game they're they're playing a, a huge role in in a, in a closeout game or in the, in the next series. And you know, some guys can't handle that, but I think our team is is. Uh, has a great chemistry. We all like seeing each other win. Like all like seeing each other play well, and uh, I think that separates us from a lot of teams. You know, we have we have a lot of fun in the locker room, and it shows on the court. You know, our team's been been through a lot, and uh, you know you can see when we're down ten or down fifteen, we never get never get worried. We believe in each other, and we believe that we can we can pull out any game. He is a two-time NBA champion, a center for the Golden State Warriors. Game one of the NBA Finals tomorrow night in Toronto. Kavon Looney, my guest. Kavon, I really appreciate you. Great job. Thanks for coming on the program. Good luck with it. All right. Thanks for having me. So we've got nothing to talk about, right? What am I supposed to do? I mean, all we have is MLB. Yeah, well, MLB has got this. Hell yes, it does. There were so many things that MLB had yesterday that for a brief moment it felt like it was America's pastime all over again. It had it all. I mean, you want something terrible? You want something embarrassing? Why don't we start in Chicago for the first pitch before yesterday's Royals-White Sox game? Now, first pitches are a weird thing. I've actually done it. I can speak from experience. They're tougher than they look. They're deceivingly difficult, even for actual athletes. The problem is they're generally handled by non-athletes who throw on a jersey, march onto a major league field, and then try to throw a rock to a small target. It's not that easy. In fact, it's pretty hard. And there are like 15 of these things every single day, which means that every single day, multiple people are missing the plate and bouncing it off the grass. 
And it's gotten to the point where the horrible first pitch genre is very played and very tired. Hey, why don't we clown this singer or this municipal employee, you know, like Dasmati, for doing something that most people cannot do? Like, if I wanted to do a take on a terrible first pitch every single day, I could do that. And then I could just run down all the terrible first pitches that came before it. Again, really lazy. Hell, the compilation is so easy. I could have Alvin play a tape of me talking about 50 Cent, Mariah Carey, the mayor of Cincinnati, and so on and so on. But since the horror of a first pitch is visual and the majority of the audience is on radio, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You need to do something pretty terrible to get run on this particular show for a bad pitch. So yesterday, the White Sox honor their employee of the month by having her throw out the first pitch. And they want to make sure that they capture the moment, so they sent a photog out there as well. The photographer is standing on the grass to the left of the so-called pitcher, probably thought that he was safe. Spoiler alert, he was not safe. Pitching staff leads the league in walks, and that's carried over to the ceremonial first pitch. pitch in baseball history or the best pitch first pitch in baseball history (laughs) you guys see it to believe it i mean well if you're watching on cbs sports network you saw it if you've already seen it you know there's missing the plate there's bouncing it off the grass and then there's bouncing it off the photographer who's about 10 feet off to the side drill this cat right in the lens i mean it is awesome truly special Now, of course, you know that every sports radio show and morning zoo show around the country is going to have a bunch of out of shape dopes mocking her, insisting they could do better, and I doubt it. She doesn't need to be clowned. You think you could do better? Do you think that Doug from accounting or Amy from sales is really going to be up there painting the black in the low 90s with crazy movement? For all we know, Her job is to evaluate talent, not be the talent. So unless this woman is the employee of the month from the pitching department, man, get off her back. Give her a break. Now that said, dotting the photog is incredible. I I haven't seen something that jaw-dropping on the field in a Royals-White Sox game since the shirtless father and his son ran onto the field and attacked the Royals' first base coach. At least this White Sox employee was invited to the proceedings. Now, if you want to make fun of somebody, if you want to make fun of somebody, take a run at Blue Jays right fielder Randall Gritchick. Gritchick did the outfield equivalent of a horrible first pitch in the third inning last night. Now, when you talk about inside the park home runs, what do you think of? Most people immediately think of that exciting play where some speed burner drives a gap, gets on his horse, sprints around the bases, and then beats a bang-bang play at the plate. Always exciting. Or it's like this. Tampa's. Avasil, Garcia. Lofts a soft pop-up to right field, and the right fielder has himself a nightmare. Garcia lifts it. Into right, a lot of hang time, and Kritchik 
loses that one. That's going to bound to the wall. I don't know if it hit anything up there or not, but Garcia's already rounding third. He's headed to the plate. He is safe. He rounds the bases. Honestly. Inside the park home run, and Gritchick still trying to figure out what happened out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah all of us. We all are. That's a better visual than that first pitch where that lady dotted the photog from 10 feet. Like, I don't know if that guy lost the ball in the lights. I don't know if he lost the ball in the ceiling. I don't know if he never saw it. I don't know if this guy's got the worst vision ever. But Gritchick missed that ball by about 30 feet. Gritchick is staggering around in right field, staring at the ceiling, looking for something, and the ball lands like 10 yards behind him and bounces all the way to the wall. Oh, but credit to Gritchick. When he realizes where the ball is, he doesn't sprint after it. This guy's jogging after the ball. I mean, almost walking after the ball. Giving Garcia time to not only circle the bases, but slide into home plate without there even being a play at home plate. Let's be honest. Garcia is not exactly Vince Coleman. Garcia's more like Steve Balboni. My guy is slower than dirt. Even with that misplay, that should have only been a triple. But because Gritchick lost the ball in the ceiling or the lights or never saw it to begin with and practically walked to it, Garcia ends up with quite possibly the worst inside the park home run ever. But as good slash horrible as those moments were, last night in baseball, hell, Last night in all of sports belonged to one Derek Richard Dietrich and to the jungle karma. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The karma is one of the most powerful forces on earth. It is not something I control. It's not even something I understand. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. But you know the drill. If somebody comes on the show and does a good interview Good things generally happen to them. And Derek Dietrich came on the show yesterday and did a great interview. Not only did he do a great interview, he stayed on the phone afterwards and called his shot about the topics that he wanted to discuss the next time he's on. So there's being a good interview. Then there's going next level and producing your next interview before you even hang up the phone from your first interview. In other words, I could not have been more impressed with this guy than I was. Then the game. Then the game against Pittsburgh. Dietrich has been mashing Pittsburgh pitching all season long. So he had to be feeling pretty good when he stepped into the batter's box in the first inning. Especially after his jungle interview. But he grounded out in the first inning. Then he came up in the bottom of the fourth with a runner on second. And then this happened. Dietrich drives one deep to right. This one's way back there and it's gone. A two-run shot for Derek Dietrich. It's 3-0 Reds. Bada! Reds Radio, such a sweet swing. Man, this cat is so good. So, so good. The karma lives. Do a good interview. Hit a home run a few hours later. The karma is real. But then he comes up in the bottom of the fifth with a runner on, and this happened. He swings and sends a drive back into right field. He's got another one. Back-to-back at bats. 
Back-to-back home runs for Derek Dietrich, who runs his season's total now to 16. And the Reds' lead goes to 6 to nothing. Are you kidding me about this guy? What an amazing performance. Masterpiece of an interview. And now a two-home run, four-RBI game. Dietrich, if you need him. Except he wasn't done. He comes to the plate in the bottom of the seventh. Stop me if you have heard this before. Runner on, and I will warn you, this is not a replay. The conference on the mound is over. Now the pitch to Dietrich, and he swings and barrels another one to right, and this one's gone. Three for Derek Dietrich, and all three are two-run home runs. Three home runs. The jungle karma has never been stronger. Go ahead and watch Kevon Looney get off for the triple-double in game one. Best part about those home runs, none of them were cheap. There was not a cheap one among them. And you could time his trots with a sundial. I know the Pirates and their fans hated that. But if you love baseball, you should love that. Those three bombs last night gave him 17 on the year. A new career high. And we're not even to May yet. Or through May. This is a guy who was DFA'd by the Marlins, and now he's putting up Barry Bonds' numbers this year. I mean, seriously, he's averaging a home run every 6.9 at-bats. In his prime, Bonds was 6.52. An incredible performance by Dietrich. On the phone, then at the plate. War, and I don't war things myself. I usually let you all do that. War Dietrich. War the Reds. War the legendary Rob Butcher. And most of all, War the jungle karma. karma. Man, it never fails. Listen, by now you know it takes more than just hard work to make it to the pros. It takes smarts. You know, the kind of smarts that can help you read a defense, pick it apart. Hiring is no different than that. You need smarts to find the right people, but you don't need to spend years honing your game. You simply need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-O-N-E-S ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Lorenzo Alexander is my guest. Lorenzo, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How you been, brother? Oh, man, I'm doing great. It's great to have you on. Listen, you've done this before. You have done this before. So you've gone through OTAs. Let me start right there. Because you've been through so many of these things, how do you approach them? Are you hyped up, or is it just a grind and something you just have to get through? Um, you know what? I don't. I don't think I'm hyped up, or nor is it a grind for me. I, I take it for what it is. It's, for me, it's a, it's a great time just to sharpen my tools, because I don't really care how long you play this game. You know, after taking a couple of months off, uh, you know, if the season is in January, we just getting back into work in March. Your your skill set, your tools are rusty. So I re- I really use it just to get back in shape from a football standpoint. You know, working on my footwork, working on my eye progression, um, and really taking my understanding of the, of our football scheme to another level so I can go out there and make plays and, and understand where I can make plays at. See, that, that to me is really interesting, what you're talking about, and this is why you're still where you are. The fact that you've got all these tiny details and technique that you start to get a little bit rusty when you take some time away from the game. Like, where did that mentality come from, the importance of every single detail, every right. single rep, even in May? Where did that come from? It really came from being around great players that came before me. You know, guys like Bridget Buckner, uh, London Fletcher, Chris Samuels that I played with, Larry Fitzgerald, and all those guys in my mind are elite, you know, Hall of Fame caliber players. And you watch how they work, even with great success, 
and great talent, they always paid attention to the details and the little things because they understood that's what got them to where they, where they were at and got them through stressful moments throughout the season to really help them overcome when they may not be playing that well. So um, building relationships with those guys, watching how they worked, I definitely wanted to adopt it because it had been so successful for them. Smart. Lorenzo Alexander joining us. I mentioned before he came on that there's an awful lot to be optimistic about. If you're in Buffalo, the team brought in a number of guys in the offseason, both as free right. agents and through the draft. So how do you go about getting everybody on the same page as quickly as possible and making sure that all the pieces fit and the chemistry works? Well, that's really what the offseason is for. Uh, I think uh, Sean does a great job as far as building culture and setting up an environment where uh, we kind of force that, you know, guys hanging out, guys getting together, because that's one of the biggest things that people, I think, take for granted is the chemistry and the understanding of, of each other uh, when you're out there on the football field. Because we always talk about, um, you know, the NFL is, is a group of men staying together the longest. And, you know, a lot of things can go wrong, ups and downs. And during this offseason, we really focus on love, respect, and coming together through different team activities, obviously competing on the field, doing these OTAs, running the schemes and stuff too. But, uh, I think just the whole this whole off season is kind of geared towards getting to know each other because that's the biggest thing. I mean, we've had like 30 new guys easily on this roster. I think there's only four guys left on this team when I came here at 16. And that's the nature of the NFL. So how do we get those guys caught up? Um, how do we get those guys on the same page? And it really goes down to how Sean organized the off season and the things that he sets up to kind of bring us closer together. Lorenzo Alexander is back here in the jungle. You know, when you talk about the NFL being a group of men staying together as long as they possibly can and the culture, the fact is the NFL locker room is really unlike any other place. Like if guys, if there's somebody or some buddies that do not fit in, they don't buy in, they're not doing the work they're supposed to be doing, what happens to those guys? I mean, well, here, I mean, we've moved on from them. You know, whether they've gotten traded or released, like I said, you know, there's only four guys left from 16. And obviously, uh, uh, some of those guys, you know, either retire like an E. Wood or Kyle Williams. But some of those guys, uh, you know, Sean and Brandon felt like they didn't fit what we were trying to do and in our future, the NFL, and, and they move on. And that doesn't just happen here with the Bills. That's just the, the, the life of the NFL player. And um, so that's why I always, you know, tell young guys, man, you need to buy in to what's being taught because you can be here today and gone tomorrow very easily, especially in this league. Now, Lorenzo, I'm not there, but I got to think that one guy who I know is going to fit in, and again, I'm not there, but the one guy that I know will fit in, Frank Gore. The team added Frank oh, Gore. Yeah. Man, I've got so much respect for him as a player. What was your reaction yeah. to the news, especially the fact that he's a couple of weeks older than you, and yeah. what's he going to bring <laughs> to the locker room? That's the first thing I look for when we sign a bet. How old is he? And right. obviously, Frank, like you just talked about, he's, he's two weeks older than me. I turned 36 on Friday. Uh, so I was glad to have him here, but like you mentioned, I mean, the guy's a Hall of Famer. Um, he's put up a 1,000 yards multiple times throughout his career. He's a hard, tough-nosed runner. I've competed against multiple times throughout my career, and I have nothing but the respect as far as how he approaches this game. He loves the game. He's, he's a student of the game as well, so he's definitely going to add a lot of leadership on that offensive side, toughness um, that we definitely will need as we go through this uh, season and, and try to, you know, obviously get to the playoffs. Lorenzo Alexander of the Bill is joining us. So as a team, you battled injuries last year, especially a quarterback. How tough was that for the team? And then how much are you looking forward to year two with Josh Allen? Right. I mean, I think you know better than anybody else. It's a quarterback league. And if you don't have a guy at the helm that knows what he's doing and understands the game consistently, you really, you know, playing from behind. You really don't have an opportunity. I think we had four different guys start last year, and that's really why we ended up um, – 
six and ten, no continuity at the quarterback realm. And you saw as Josh got in there late in the year, he grew, got better. I think that the team started rallying around him. And uh, we want to obviously use some of that juice we kind of finish the season off with and transition into next year with the growth of him and adding several of these guys around him, really see our offense explode and help us win games this year. So I'm, I'm excited for it and, uh, very, and looking and forward to what Josh is going to bring. And I know the coaches really like his maceration process uh, from year one to year two, and he's taking all the reps. So I, I'm excited for what they're going to be able to bring out this year. We're talking to Lorenzo Alexander. Now, you and I have talked about this in the past. Off the top, I mentioned you were undrafted out of Cal in 2005, and we've talked about your journey in the past, but I want to underline this because guys who go undrafted are not supposed to make it in the league, let alone make it in the league for more than a decade and go to multiple Pro Bowls. How much pride is there in that for you? Um, I mean, there's a lot. Obviously, I had to put a lot of hard work in in it. But, I, I mean, I realize my success is not my own. And I've had countless coaches uh, and players. And, you know, I mentioned London Fletcher, who was undrafted as well and, and played in this league 16 years. And being able to attach myself to guys like that, uh, who's really showed the way uh, about how to be successful, um, you know, I stand on those guys' shoulders. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm here 15, but it was a group of, of men that really allowed me to build relationships and learn from them. Because you don't get that, you know, I, I, I've heard countless stories from guys that came out with me where their veterans wouldn't help them out. They wouldn't speak into their life and really show them how, what it meant to be a man in the NFL um, on and off the field. And so I'm thankful for those guys that I've had throughout my career. And that's ultimately why I'm still in this league, because those guys taught me how to be a, a leader, how to be a player, and then really how to give back to the community. Yeah, it's really high praise. You know, you mentioned London Fletcher a couple of times. Now, I see him sometimes when I go back to New York for the NFL on CBS. My man's a rock, and he's a bone crusher. Every time he shakes my hand, I mean, <laughs> dude, he is so strong still. Like, what's that right. point, Lorenzo, about guys, veterans that will not help? Are they, is it because it's so cutthroat, because they're afraid that you might take their job? Why will some guys yeah. help and others won't? Well, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, being secure. And, uh, you know, like in, in, in any walk of life, there's, there's a certain insecurity when somebody else you're competing with may have the opportunity to take your job away because this is how guys, you know, feed their families and take care of themselves. And if you're going to help a young guy and you see the writing on the door as far as you walking out, uh, you know, selfishly, most people are just selfish thinking and want to give it to themselves. You know, I, I've thought it totally different, obviously, because guys did it for me, but uh, I'm willing to compete with anybody, and I want to give them the information and the wisdom to know. And then as they get better, I got to get better. And if I'm not good enough to beat somebody, um, I can live with myself. I just never, I don't think I can live with myself telling somebody the wrong thing, getting them cut, that's really affecting them and their future as well, versus going out there and competing. Um, and, and the best man wins. And so um, that's just the, the route I've taken, uh, just because I will. That's what was shown to me at a, at a young age. Preach. What a great attitude. Lorenzo Alexander joining us for a few more moments. You have become an absolute fan favorite in Buffalo because of, well, things like that. You and I have talked about the Bills Mafia in the past. We've talked about that fan yeah. base in the past. But you admitted recently that before you got there, you didn't know what playing in Buffalo was all about. Before you got there, what was your impression of Buffalo? Cold weather. Uh, you know, I mean, I've I never been up this far uh, north at all. Um, in New York, and, and I think it's just more just so of uh, a lack of knowledge, really ignorance, just because I had never lived in this part of the country. Uh, but once you get up here, you get to meet the people, uh, get to see the city and see all that it has to offer. I mean, you fall in love with it. And uh, it, it really matches up well to, you know, who I am as a football player, you know, blue collar, you know, nothing given to me, earn everything. And the, and the community embraces that. And so I fall in love with that, 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 um, 
that mindset and the culture. And uh, our family loves it up here. We stay up here year-round now. And uh, it's really been great uh, for me and my kids. This is probably the favorite place that, they, uh, that, um, that they've lived since I've been, been in the NFL. All right, so you're there year-round. At the same time, you and your foundation are hosting a camp in Alameda here in California on June 22nd. You are from the Bay Area. What's right. it like to be able to go back and give back like that and make a difference back home? Yeah, I think it's important. Um, you know, I, I'm never going to forget where I came from because that's where the roots of the foundation was established. And uh, I have several friends there. Um, we're actually partnering with the Barry Seminoles, guys I played with in um, college and in the NFL that have started a youth league, and we've partnered. And I just want to give back to the next generation, obviously going back and giving them a, a, a real-life picture of what it looks like to come out of the inner city of, of Oakland, really, and, and in Alameda, that, that whole barrier. Um and just give resources and give hope. Um, and I think that's, that's key that we have guys do that. Uh, you know, you see Marshawn and his whole crew doing it, and I just want to be a part of that because we have a lot of guys from the Bay Area that have been successful, and we're all looking to try to give back and, and help out the next generation do the same thing. You know, one last thought. There have been so many great athletes to come out of Oakland, NFLers, NBAers. When you were coming up, who were some of the guys from the area that you looked up to? Oh, wow. I think uh, Tar Glenn, who played for the coach for a long time, won a Super Bowl championship. Jason Kidd was another guy. Uh, those are probably the, the two top ones that kind of come to my mind. And I'm pretty sure if I think long enough, I mean, there's a, a myriad of other guys that were, you know, five to ten years older than me that I really looked up to playing and, and played the league and have done some, a, a lot of great things as well. He played his college ball in Cal. He was undrafted way back in 2005 out of Cal. A two-time Pro Bowler, a Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for 2017 and 2018. And the Bills open up against the Jets September 8th. Lorenzo Alexander back on the program. Lorenzo, great to have you, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Anytime, brother. Lost in the shuffle of the post-Memorial Day news was a tweet from the Oakland Raiders. The tweet read, We have signed free agent guard, Richie Incognito. Wait, what? That Richie Incognito? No way. There's another guy named Richie Incognito, right? But then when you click on the link, you get an article on the team's website that reads in part. And I quote, the Oakland Raiders. I need my bed, Alvin. I need my bed. The Oakland Raiders have signed free agent guard Richie Incognito. The club announced Tuesday. Incognito joins the Raiders after previous stints with the St. Louis Rams, Miami Dolphins, and most recently with the Buffalo Bills. A four-time Pro Bowler, Incognito, has appeared and started in 150 contests over his career. And then it goes on to list a number of Incognito's accomplishments, but... There is a lot that was not included. They didn't include that time that he feuded with the Minnesota Vikings. They did not include that time he underwent an involuntary psychiatric evaluation in Florida after an incident at a gym, which included him allegedly throwing a dumbbell dumbbell at somebody. Didn't include that. According to TMZ Sports, the alleged victim said that Incognito was rambling about the government and screaming, quote, get off my bleeping playground, end quote. Oh, and that he told police that he was, quote, running NSA class three level documents, class level three documents, I should say. 
team did not include that in the story. Also did not include the time following the death of his father, which I'm sure was a challenging time. But following that time, he showed up at the mortuary and, quote, walked around the funeral home, punching caskets and throwing things, end quote. Nor did the story mention that he allegedly demanded that his father's head be cut off for research purposes and then made a gun gesture at one employee and talked about having, quote, a truck full of guns in the parking lot. And sure enough, police found that he allegedly had a pair of pistols, three rifles, and a silencer in his truck in the parking lot. And all those things I mentioned are only highlights from last summer. You would think that was a career summary, a career that many NFL teams would want nothing to do with. But that was not a career. That was the summer of 2018. My guy did all of that in one summer. And then before that, we have the bullying scandal, the allegations of racism directed at a teammate and a team employee, the allegations of sexual harassment at a golf course. Like the list goes on. However, and what do I always say? What do I always say? If you have the chance to get a soon-to-be 36-year-old offensive lineman who did not play last year and retired because of alleged kidney and liver issues and then spent the summer getting into fights at gyms and funeral homes, you have a chance to get that guy? You do that 100 times out of 100. You cannot afford not to sign a guy like that. Culture is still the biggest buzzword in all sports right now. And who better to define a winning culture than a guy who allegedly throws dumbbells at people in gyms, allegedly believes that he's being spied on, allegedly punches out caskets, allegedly demands that his father's head be cut off for research purposes, allegedly makes threats to funeral home workers. That's not just a guy you want to bring into camp. That's a guy you want to build around and around Vontez Perfect and around Mr. Big Chest. Fantastic Big work, Chest. everybody. And when asked about that signing, Raiders GM Mike Mayock explained the move by saying, quote, you can't have all Boy Scouts. I'm sorry, what? You bring this guy in. And your explanation is you can't have all Boy Scouts? Hey, look, I get that you want some edge. I get that you want some toughness. But is it possible to find that edge and toughness without bringing in a guy who's throwing dumbbells at people, claiming he's being spied on and punching out caskets and asking that his dad have his head cut off? It's got to be a middle ground, right? Between that guy and a Boy Scout. Yeah, not to state the obvious, but let's state the obvious. This is a league that will give Richie Incognito chance after chance after chance after chance after everything he's done, but Colin Kaepernick never got another look, except Mayock was sticking to his guns. I think whenever, whenever he's been focused on activity solely on the field, he's been fine. And we've done a one-year prove-it deal with him, and prove-it means both on and off the field. So like whenever Richie is not throwing dumbbells and threatening funeral home workers. He's been fine. What an amazing statement that is. Like, I like Mike Mayock a lot. 
a lot. Really sharp guy. Really smart guy. But even he can't believe what he's saying. And it doesn't matter to me whether they're going to bring this guy in just as a camp body to toughen everybody up and then maybe cut him before the season. You are the company you keep. And when you bring incognito into your company, that says a hell of a lot about your company. And there's no way to explain that away. We are joined by Max Muncy. Max, good to have you on. How are you? Good. How's it going, man? Good. Good, Max. So you dropped a tough one in the Mets yesterday that ended a four-game winning streak. I guess ordinarily I'd ask you how eager are you to get right back at it, get the taste out of your mouth. But the fact is this team has not lost consecutive games in more than a month. So let me start there. How do you explain this team's ability to bounce back as often as it does? Uh, you know, we have a pretty veteran group of guys that know how to go out there um, and take it day by day and not let one thing carry over to the, the next, whether it's a whether it's a good game the night before or a bad game. You know, everyone knows how to flush it and show up, and it's a brand-new day every day. That explains that. Max Muncy joining us, no doubt. So when a team has had the level of success that the Dodgers have had year in and year out, it seems like it might be easy for players to maybe tune out during the regular season, especially in the early months of the season because it's such a grind. So what's it say about this group that you've gotten off to such a good start this year? I think it's just a big part of the culture that they've created in the clubhouse. Um, you know, all the guys that are in there, they understand what's going on. They understand the team they're on. They understand, the, you know, the expectations and everything. And, uh, you know, they show up every day ready to get their work in. They don't, um, you know, they don't expect anything to be given to them. They know they have to earn it. And, uh, like I said, it's just part of the culture they've created. And so it makes it, makes it fun to go out there every day. L.A. Dodger, Max Monsi, my guest. You know, there are a lot of different moments in the season that you and I could talk about, but if I were to go back to one on Saturday against the Pirates, Pittsburgh led 2-1, going to the top of the fifth, and then you led off the inning with a 12-pitch walk that Dave Roberts said, quote, completely flipped the game, end quote. I mean, not only was that a 12-pitch walk, you were down 1-2, you took a ball, you fouled off three pitches, you took another ball, you fouled off three more pitches, then you got the fourth ball. Like, what was your mindset during the at-bat and how satisfying a walk was that? Uh, well, the whole the whole party at bat was just try to grind it and uh, you know put put together a good at bat. We know we we'd been working Archer pretty good to that point. He had thrown a lot of pitches. Um, we were we were pretty positive at that point. He wasn't going to be able to go deep in the game, and uh, their bullpen had been taxed a little bit. So just kind of going into the bat, it was keep grinding and uh, you know hopefully find a way to get him out of the game and. Uh, you know, after a couple of pitches, it was kind of I was a little bit out of my plan. Just you know, I was down one two, like you said, and from there it's just kind of you got to go, got to go to work, got to go to battle, and try to win the at bat. And before long, it was uh, I got the walk, and you know, I got on first, and George Lombard, first base coach, uh, immediately said that just won us the game. It's an amazing at bat. Max Muncy joining us now. When you talk about going to work, you've now played thirty five games at first. 15 games at second, 12 games at third, a couple of games as a pinch hitter. I mean, given where you were in your career not that long ago, how much does it mean to you to be in a spot where you're in the lineup just about every single day and contributing just about every chance you get? Uh, it means everything to me. Um, you know, I was in a spot not too long ago where baseball wasn't really the funnest thing to me. It was mentally, I wasn't sure if it was what I was wanting to do. I was considering other options for my career and, uh, to be able to get back to the point where it had been my entire life, where it was, you know, the best thing in the world, and I couldn't wait to get out onto the field. And uh, now I get a chance to do that every single day, like you said. It's, uh, it kind of just means the world to me, and it's um, something that means the world to my family as well. Hey, Max, that's not something that would happen overnight, but how did you turn that thing around? How did you flip that on its head? How did you get to a place from where I don't even know if I like doing this and I want to do this for the rest of my life to this is the thing I want most? Uh, honestly, it was kind of just going back to being a little kid. Um, you know, I had about a month or two where I was out of baseball, just kind of sitting on the couch, and 
during that time, me and my dad were going out to the cage every single day and uh, just treating it like we were treating it like I was a kid again. He was just throwing to me, you know, we were playing games, just, uh, you know, having fun and making it fun again. And from there, it was kind of realizing how much I missed playing and ready to get back out there. And so when I was ready to get back out there, it was put in more work and more work. And um, from there, it just kind of turned around. I think that's amazing. Like, for instance, you and your dad doing that work. I mean, you were growing up in Texas and used to work with your dad. I mean, I got to be straight, dude. I, I wouldn't even mess with my eighth grader swing. I'm not even going there. The fact that you and your dad could get that work in, what were those sessions like? What were the types of things you talked about when you kind of re- reworked your swing? Well, you, you know, my dad's the person that knows knows me the best as far as baseball goes. He coached me from as far as long as I can remember up until about uh, high school. And even then, he still helped out a little bit. And so, he he knows my swing more than more than anyone in the world, and so he you know he might not know the the intricacies of the mechanics, but he can tell me the basics. And so that was basically what we did was just get back to basics, you know, kind of getting your legs, get a short short quick step, short quick hands, and uh, you know from there we just kind of tweaked some things and got in a better position to hit, and just went from there. I love it. Max Muncy joining us. And then defensively, from the outside, it would seem like first, second, third are completely different positions. How different are they to you, and how do you approach each one? Oh, they're all very different. Um, you know, third base, you're you're never getting a routine ground ball. Anything that's hit to you is either, you know, a ball hit about 130 miles an hour or it's a top spin ball that's taking weird hops. And uh, then you got to make the long throw, and then you go to second, and it's, you know, just a completely different position altogether. Um, you know, you got to move your feet around. You got to be able to get in the position. And then first is, uh, uh, you know, you got to make sure you can catch the ball for your guys. Otherwise, they're going to be pretty mad at you. <laughs> right. You know, when you get a shot with the Dodgers last year and then you mash like 35 home runs, you play a huge role in the postseason. The thing about the postseason is, I mean, it is such a grind. There is so much more pressure on every single pitch, every single swing. How much of a toll does that take on guys mentally? What's it like to be in the postseason? It's, it's tough. Um, you know, the biggest thing is kind of what you touched on right there mentally. Uh, you know, physically, it's it's a demanding sport, but uh, mentally, it's probably one of the hardest ones out there. And then you, when you get to the playoffs, um, you know, just one game mentally is like you played three games in one day. Like, that's how that's how it felt after each each and every one of those games. It's just, it, you know, it's a totally different animal. And, um, yeah, it's tough. It's uh, But it's the whole reason you play the sport, though, is you want to get to the playoffs and uh, get a chance to win. Hey Max, I got to ask you about Cody Bellinger really quickly. He had a game on Monday where he had a home run and two outfield assists. How would you describe what this guy's doing both at the plate and in the field right now? He's he's one of those once in a generation talents. You know, he's he's something that's pretty special. Um, he has all the tools to be an absolute superstar, and he's he's turning into that right now. And it's one of the things where it's really fun to watch. You just want to sit back and enjoy the ride, especially when you're on the team with him. Now, you hit it really hard at the Michael Johnson Performance Center in the offseason. Like, what kinds of things were you working on, and have you noticed a difference this year? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing we were working on was uh, first-step quickness and explosiveness. Um, that way I'd, I'd be able to play second base a little bit better and, you know, move around the field. Uh, that was the biggest thing I wanted to work on. And, um, you know, going to a place that is uh, pretty famous for, tra- for training track stars, I feel like that was the best option for me. <laughs> and, uh um, you know, I feel like it just made a huge difference. It's, uh, it's helped my body out. It's helped me get through a long season, and uh, it's definitely something I plan on doing again. So finally, when you're there, I mean, obviously you're there to get your work in. You're a pretty focused guy, and you're pretty serious. Are there other guys you kind of want to pick their brains? Do you see other athletes there that you want to get with and kind of talk to? Like, who's, who are the types of guys that show up there when you're getting your work in? 
Uh, well, I mean, the, the biggest athletes are there when uh, at, at that time of year is the college football players. They're they're showing up right after the bowl season. They're getting ready to uh, do their training for the combine. So, no, those guys are all in there. It's kind of fun to see them. You realize, you know, how big those football players are in person. I mean, those guys are just monsters. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of just fun to be in there with other athletes. Everyone's kind of challenging themselves, and it makes it a fun atmosphere. It's going to be a great environment. Max Muncy, my guest, five home runs, 14 runs batted in in May. And the Dodgers have got the best record in the National League. They are hosting the Mets this evening. Max, really nice to have you on. Thanks for doing that on a game day. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This guy tweets the show all the time. Let's go to Wells in the 360. Wells, on to the phones. What's up, man? How are you? Good. How are you doing, Jim? Good. Great. It's good to hear your voice. Hey. Yeah, I appreciate the vine, man. Um, I just want to let you guys know and everybody know there's a Smack Off 25 watch party. It's officially been booked. This one's for all the clones in the Pacific Northwest. This one's going to be in downtown Portland at the Bloodworks Live studio, the 1029-750 The Game Lounge. That's downtown on 6th and Madison. It's super easy to find. There's lots of parking, room for everyone. Uh, these guys are going to put Smack Off 25 on the theater there and then sync up the live radio broadcast so everyone can watch it together. Uh, Peter Sampson, he's been a diehard clone since the 90s. Uh, this guy works at the station, and he let us know that this is actually the same studio where you, um, you broadcasted there from uh, about four years ago when you were in Portland. Right. So you can vouch for how cool this place is going to be. Um, the doors are going to be opening at 8.30 a.m. on June 21st. There's room for everybody. The more clones, the merrier. If anybody has any questions, you can find me on Twitter, at Wells in the 360, or hit up Peter. He's at Peter Sampson. We'll answer any questions you have. Jim, we really, really hope this isn't the last smack-off, but we're going to party like it is just in case. So if you guys can make it to Portland, if you can drive from anywhere, you don't want to miss out. War the Seattle Mariners, war the Washington State Cougars, and war the Woodscopes. My man, Wells, way to represent. Way to represent the 360. Way to represent the Pacific Northwest. Great job. I do know that studio. All right, so phone lines are open. one 636 8686. Let's go to Chicago. Mark in Chicago. Good to have you on the show, Mark. How are you? Rome, I'm great. Uh, it's the peak of the smack off season, and I couldn't be more excited. I just want to give my brief, humble take on the field. You know, for my money, it's it's Rick and Buffalo versus the field. The only ones who could maybe, maybe give him a run for the money might be the BIC and left, maybe. You know, like Rick in Buffalo, I'm also a teacher, and I'm making this call while my students are working on a crossword I made up for them specifically to keep them busy so I could uh, sneak this call in. Hold on a second, Jim. Yes, Timmy. Hey, Mr. Mark in Chicago, what's a nine-letter word for losers who live north of the 49th parallel? Canadians, Timmy. Canadians. Sorry about that, Romy. Um, You know, I find it hilarious that the whale in Green Bay, a.k.a. Caleb, thinks he has a chance you know someone posted pics of him and his family on twitter i think he's got the nicest rack of the entire bunch and what's with caleb's mom she's always with him on on his social media i mean she looks like the love child of yosemite sam and tyne daly when it's dinner time does she instead of shouting dinner does she uh lift up her freckled skin tags pull out some six shooters fire them up into the air and scream out Caleb, come and get your vittles. Sorry, Jim. I, I I know you have a sudden irrational love for Wisconsin, so I'll, I'll I'll lay off those dudes for a minute. Now, Mark in Hollywood, where do I even start with this guy? I know you have the profile coming up on him, so I'll keep this brief. 
dude posts a picture of himself flexing on some crappy-looking inland lake. He looks like he's starring in a drug commercial that airs during NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. All 23 octogenarians probably see it. I think it was a still from the set of a commercial where he's playing hemorrhoid sufferer number two. When my roids flare up like a 4th of July fireworks show, I use roid out. I'm Mark in Hollywood. Or maybe it's for that pill. You know that pill that, that people take before they wrestle with someone who's attained the HIV? I mean, what kind of drug is that anyway? I, ah! No. You don't like that car. I don't like that car. Not a very good car. Rich Flores. Flores is on the phone right now. He's in HB. Rich, what's up? Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. How are you today, bro? Good, good, man. How about you? I'm all right, man. Hey, uh, from Princeville to Poipu to Polahali, you're welcome. Shout out to my friend Matt in L.A. You know, I got a chance to spend a couple hours with him not too long ago at a little get-together, and uh, that's a guy who knows how to handle himself. But, you know, come uh, June 21st, not everybody always knows how to handle themselves where alcohol is concerned. Guys, if you're coming to our party, please get a hotel room. Enjoy yourself. Let's do it responsibly. The last thing I need is my name on a county piece of paper underneath V period, if you catch my drift, Van Smack. But, uh, you know, what I want to talk about quickly is the guy from Harrisburg. Bro, how long have you been waiting to go in on me? Manager? Dude, I'm no manager, okay? Back at Smack Off 18, Chael One. I called up Mark. I said, hey, man, I got an idea. That beget into a live call that Mike wound up winning the day over, and then that turned into a helicopter, which turned into a in-the-studio storm with a balloon, which turned into Sports Illustrated. And last year at this time, I'm in Henry Winkler's front room, and he's helping me set up a green screen. Jim, I'm really grateful that you've given me an opportunity to meet so many great guys along the way, to become friends with them. And i got to tell you something, Smack Off is just when I like to come out and have a great time. You know, I'm not a good regular season caller, but come June, July, I go out of my way to make an attempt to turn into like a proverbial Mr. October. So one thing that I did want to quote, uh, uh, come in about with Mike and India is, is that he wants five grand to be a part of this call. Um, you know, Jim, I don't know how to win the championship where Smack Off is concerned, but I think I've demonstrated that I do know how to win the day. So if you, uh, for your consideration, I'd like a golden ticket this year, Jim, because the thing is, is, is that I think I know how to win the day, and I think I may know how to win the competition based on my uh, resume that I just kind of pointed out. And so maybe you'd uh, give, it a, give it a thought. Uh, hey, Ward, Greg, and Sun Valley coming on down to the official Smack Off 25 party and Dana Point, and war all you other guys doing parties as well. I think it's fantastic. Uh, good luck there, 360 up in Portland. Uh, rooting for you. Uh, I'll take your comments off the air. Thanks, Jim. All right, Rich. I think I'll give you my comments off the air. Bro, you're like the, stir- the straw that stirs the drink. Ask you. Yeah, Rich, you can have a golden ticket. I got a golden ticket. This guy's been running around I taking credit for less wins. Why not? Let's find out. Good night, now!